Hi, this is Greg and Steph Carlson from Farmington, Minnesota, and uh, we're going to share some scripture with you today from the New Living Translation from Romans 7 and 8 and from Philippians 2. Uh, first is from Romans 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And from Romans 8, 28 to 39. And yet we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry? or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And from Philippians 2.5, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, thank you very much, Carlson's. Uh, and that's some good scripture. So if you are just joining us, Happy New Year. We're so glad you're with us. And welcome to 2021. I don't know if anyone has been more excited for a calendar flip in years than this year. 
So if you've made any New Year's resolutions, I would love you to type them in the comments because um, some of you do that. And if you have a word or a verse that you have prayed over this year, you've asked God for this year, uh, you could share that in the verse in the comments as well. If you haven't done that, uh, I invite you to do that. I think God's word for me this year is overcome, and I've been praying through that the last couple of days. But the year is young, so there's no better time than now to talk to God. Since it's January 3rd, I also believe there's probably some people who have not kept their New Year's resolutions already. I don't know, just saying. So, uh, that's okay. But I have been running since March of the pandemic last year. And I was a runner a little bit before, but uh, in the last year, I have almost doubled my mileage and doubled the frequency of when I was running because I knew that in March, I didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. I just knew the few things that I could control were what I ate and how I exercised. And so that has been a lifeline for me. I haven't eaten perfectly, but I have, um, and I haven't doubled my eating, but I have doubled my running mileage. And so uh, again, the reason I bring that up is not to brag, it's to say um, that has been a lifeline physically and mentally for me. And I'm wondering about you. How are you doing in this time, mentally and physically? I mean, all the stats show that um, this is getting long, it's getting weary, and that as human beings, we're just not in a good place mentally. Uh, so we're going to embark on a journey this January and into February, and we're calling it mental gymnastics because it is kind of an exercise regime. And to start an exercise program, it's very important to establish a baseline for where you're at. You would do this if you went to the gym. Remember when we used to do that? Yep. If you went to the gym, you'd have a baseline. You might go get a physical from your doctor. Well, consider this like your mental baseline. So we want to have an idea of where we're going to start with our mental state. So we're going to do a thought audit. It's going to be on the screen. And... Uh, it's not long, but I encourage you to, to join in. So the first scale, they're all from 1 to 10. 1's going to be negative, 10's going to be positive, and 5 is a weenie answer. So you're closer to 1 if you think in the last month or the last season, you know, I've been rather critical. Uh, I've been um, finding faults with people. I've been discouraged. I've been discontented. Uh, I've just been hard on myself and others. Or maybe I've been extremely busy. That's going to be, you're going to go closer to one if that's um, you. Or you're going to be closer to 10 if you're like, you know, I've been actually pretty encouraging to people. I've been believing the best about myself and other people. Uh, I, I've been thinking generally, you know, life is good. There has been some gifts in the last year. And I have a, a positive outlook on the future. So then you'd be closer to 10 if that was your case. So go ahead and, and ask God right now, hey, what would my number be? The next category is one is worried or worrisome and 10 would be uh, peaceful or peace-filled. You'd be closer to one if you've been consumed with how your kids are doing, if you have kids, what your future is going to be like. Um, I'm worried about money. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my health. Um, and let's be honest, it would be easy to be worried this year. So no shame if you're closer to one. 
but you could be closer to 10 if you're like, you know what? I am doing what I can do. I'm doing my part. I'm trusting God with God's part. Uh, I have a security in the future. I'm full of peace. I'm trusting God. Um, I have a non-anxious presence. Then, then you might be closer to 10. So worried, peaceful. And then the last one. Again, encourage you to actually do these numbers. One would be worldly. And 10 would be eternal. Or eternity. So where is my mind consumed? Where do my thoughts go? Am I thoughts on um, my material possessions? On what I'm getting? On if I'm liked right now? On how many followers I have? On how many I'm losing? If I say something in this cancel culture? Uh, that would be more towards a one. More towards a ten would be... Um, I'm thinking about the difference that Jesus makes in my life and in others' lives. I am focused on my spiritual gifts. If I've received Christ, I have been given gifts. If you haven't received Christ, you can receive spiritual gifts. I'm thinking about how to use them, where to use them, and um, I'm focused on that. Uh, is my job a paycheck, regardless of what it is, or is it a calling? Am I looking at how I can reach people with the good news of Jesus wherever I'm at. If those are things you're focused on, you'd be closer to 10. So I'm, I'm pretty confident none of us are, are just three points that we scored ones on everything, and none of us are all tens. But having this uh, baseline where we're at is important for how we go through this series. Our signature verse for the series um, comes from Philippians 2, chapter 5. And I'll read a little bit of the context with that as well. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So I don't know how you hear those verses, but as I think about those, I'll be honest, I do get a little nervous because I'm not Jesus. I don't have his mind. I don't have his thoughts. I definitely don't have his attitude. In fact, if we have to be perfect to have the mind of Christ, then I'm in trouble. Like, I shouldn't be speaking today. I probably shouldn't be leading or speaking ever if we need to be perfect. But the good news is we do not have to be perfect. So we're going to explore what it means to have the mind of Christ, like I said, over the next six or seven weeks. And my prayer for you is that you come along, that you join in these workouts that we can become strong carriers of faith, peace, and love. So just as there are specific workouts to build specific muscles, we need certain exercises for our minds to build them the strength to have faith, peace, and love. So we're going to start with this. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. 
your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if you change your thinking, you can actually change your life. So one of the most difficult places for me to have healthy, helpful, and positive thoughts is actually about myself. How about for you? So that's where we're going to start today. And if you're not sure, you can take out your little uh, device and you can um, go to your Photos app. If you're at home, maybe you have a photo album nearby, just go ahead and grab the photo album. Open it up and look for pictures of you or pictures of you with other people. And then take a look at those pictures and what thoughts do you have about them? Or more specifically, what thoughts do you have about yourself in those pictures? Is it, oh, my chin's hanging down too much, or my nose is too big, or gosh, my ears do that weird thing, or that person in the picture is so much nice, prettier, or handsome than I am, you know, and, and those are thoughts that you have about yourself. If that doesn't speak to you, how about your last report card? If you don't have report cards anymore, how about your last job review? If you don't have that, how about the last comment from someone in your house? Or the last look that somebody gave you from the store? So, in other words, I'm wondering how long it takes to trigger your insecurities. And we have to start the journey of mental gymnastics with our insecurities, but we've got to move towards our security in Christ. So the Apostle Paul knew his insecurities and weaknesses as well. We can read them all over his letters. I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about his weaknesses. But in, sec- in Romans 7 we see Paul's insecurity come through. When he says, the trouble is not with the law, the trouble is with me. The law is spiritual and good. I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really even understand myself for what I want to do. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree with the law. If you are thinking that you're doing something that's wrong, yep, that might be a good indication that the law is good. But I'm not the one doing the wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know nothing good lives in me, he goes on to say. That is my sinful nature. For I want to do what is right, but I can't. Verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Do you see the tension that's going on in him? And he, he says, I've discovered this principle in life that I, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. But I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. Notice how he doesn't say, it's at war with my body or it's at war with my soul. It's at war with my mind. And then who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Well, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. See how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or those who belong to Christ. Do you see, sometimes people think that Paul was talking about his life before he became a Christian when he wrote this. And and he might be speaking to that, um, and he might be speaking to those that have not yet come believers in Christ. But I think one of the biggest reasons that he actually 
is already a Christian as he writes this, and he's talking about the Christian struggle to obey God and the struggle with sin, is that he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. See, it's the Christian, it's the believer who can thank God because they know the answer is in Jesus. See, Paul starts by admitting that he's not perfect. And that's not something his religious contemporaries, the other religious leaders do. But Paul does that. I mean, the religious leaders make their sacrifices and their prayers, but from Jesus' opinion, they are far from perfect. And he knows that perfection is not the answer. At least his own perfection is not the answer. And Paul is choosing growth over perfection. And so in Romans 8, I see three truths, at least three truths, that, that Paul gives us that helped him choose growth over perfection. They're not only what he needs, I think they're what we need as well. So the first is that God is for us. Romans 8 says, it starts with this idea of there's no condemnation in Christ. And then he explains our relationship as God's children and what it looks like to live by God's spirit. Then he shifts to the future and what it, what it means that God will fulfill his work and restore us with creation and the hope we can have even in that waiting and possibly suffering. But then he changes and says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. God wants you and wants me to become like his son, Jesus. And that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he also gave them the, he also called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And so what shall we say about all these wonderful things? That God chose us, that he called us, that he gives us right standing, and that he gives us his glory? Well, he says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? See, God is always for us. God isn't out to get us. Do you ever think this? Like, someone's just out to get me. My boss is waiting to, to catch me doing something wrong. My parent is waiting to catch me doing something wrong. As a parent, I'm not doing this perfectly, but I really try to catch my kids doing something right. Sometimes when I point something out, they're like, but I didn't do that wrong. And I'm like, I know, you didn't. You did it right, and I just want to comment on it. I just want to encourage you in it. Again, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to help them understand that I am for them, that I want them to flourish in life, and that if I, as imperfect as I am, can do that, that maybe they can believe that God, who is much more perfect, can also be that, that he's for them, that he wants them to flourish in life. And that's true of you, too. God isn't this harsh evil, manipulative parent who wants to control or punish their children. Can I get an amen? He does not want to do that. He's not an angry, unfair manager that's just looking to promote the wrong people and dismiss your hard work. No, God is good. And we know he's good because he sent his precious, perfect, one and only son to live and die for us. And he was raised to life. 
and he actually intercedes on our behalf. When you know a parent or a teacher or a coach is for you, it allows you to take risks. I watched a coach be for my son, gave him the courage to switch hit in a game. Even though he grounded out, he barely grounded out, and he had the confidence to take the risk. His coach commended him for it. That's what happens all across our, like the different areas of our life when we do this. We start playing to win rather than playing not to lose. And you know the difference. When God is for us, we can play to win. When you're not sure who is for you, you start playing not to lose. You don't want to look bad. You want to try and work for their approval. And if you're not sure God is for you, my guess is you're working for his approval. But when he's for you, you can work from his approval. He's already approved you. He's already saying, well done. And you work from that place. That gives you a security. That helps you choose growth over perfection. It's the first step in our mental gymnastics to believe that God is for you. He's for me. He's for us. The second is that God is with us. We just sang about this, but it's so important for us to remember that Christ not only lived for us, died for us, was raised for us, and intercedes for us, he's sitting next to the Father like a good defense attorney, interceding for us, defending us, loving us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and he tells us that nothing will separate us from his love. In fact, Paul says that. Can anything separate us from his love? And then he goes on to say, no, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. I don't know if there's anything more permanent than those two things. that They can't separate us. Neither angels nor demons, the godly forces of, in the supernatural world or the demonic forces in the supernatural world can't separate us. Neither are fears for today, and let's be honest, there are still a lot of fears for today. They can't separate us. Nor are worries for tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God says we shouldn't worry tomorrow, but even that can't separate us from God's love. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, in case you're not sure, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that is the most beautiful piece of scripture that I think that I've ever seen. And it's not the only place. Moses says this to the whole nation of Israel, and we know the whole nation of Israel was far from perfect He says in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, these are a very imperfect people. God has called them stubborn. God has called them rebellious. God has called them hard-hearted. And he says, No, I will not leave you or forsake you. So nothing can separate you from God's love. No matter where you go, God is there. No matter what happens to you, 
God is for you. No matter what you do, he's with you. He's still working in you. He loves you. The spirit and presence of God goes with you and goes with me. So I'm not alone today. I don't live on my own today and neither do you. There's this lie out there that says, oh, you do you. And it's supposed to be this thing to convince us that we should worry about ourselves rather than worry about other people. But Jesus tells us to lay down our lives for other people. He tells us that because of the resurrection, he says that I am in the Father. That's what Jesus says. And you are in me and I am in you. See, with Jesus in us and Jesus being in the Father, then we are connected to the Father at all times. So I don't speak on my own today. You don't listen on your own today. And you don't parent on your own. You don't work on your own. You don't love others on your own. You could try it. It just doesn't work out very well. But do you know that Jesus goes with you everywhere you go? His presence, his power, his patience. He's with you. So what if you brought all of your insecurity and imperfection to Jesus today? And you asked for his help and you did that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and you did this for all of 21. So I go into the world and I say, God is for me. God is with me. And in any marriage challenges or struggles, he's with me. He's with you. Any relationship difficulties, he's with you. Any financial struggle, he is with you. Any any dreams to start something new in your own life or in someone else's life to build a ministry, to contribute to God's kingdom, God is with you. He gives you the faith to start. He gives you the words to speak. He gives you the strength to persevere. And he gives you the peace to sustain. Wherever you are, he is with you. And I know, I know, some of you have had really, really difficult seasons. I'm not minimizing that. But I want to ask, and Matthew hinted at it earlier in the service, where have you seen God anyway? Where have you seen him in this last year? Would you share that in the comments? Where you have seen him might be some place that someone else was. They just might need to borrow your eyes to see it. We can train our spiritual eyes to see what God wants us to see. So finally, if we're going to choose growth over perfection, then we need to trust that God is still working in us. It's the third truth. God is still working in you. He's still working in me. He's still working in us. If we look at Romans 7 and Romans 8 together, we see this great apostle, this giant apostle that wrote half of the New Testament as this Christ one, as this Christian, as this one in Christ, confident in two things. The ultimate victory in Christ and his constant struggle with sin and the power of God and the rule of God in his life. And so as one scholar put it, we're no longer a slave to sin's power and we still continue to struggle with sin and will commit sins. But we don't live defeated. We don't live in despair because of that. We don't pretend to be perfect. We bring our imperfections anyway. We bring the insecurities. We bring what we think is not enough 
And we ask God to make it more than enough. This is what we're called to in this next year. This is what I think we're called to in life, but especially in this time. As we start this mental gymnastics, we have to bring our imperfections anyway. We have to bring what we think is not enough and ask God to bless it, to multiply it. And if we do that and it works out, we're going to be much more likely to give God the glory. So let's trust what Paul said to the people in Philippi. That what he wrote that made it into the Bible because it was true is still true for us. He says this in Philippians 1.6. And I am certain, I am certain. I'm not just like, I'm wondering I'm not just hoping. No, I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue it. Will you hear that today? Will you be certain today? We don't have to be certain in our part. We can be certain in God's part. Remember what Paul said? He said, I know this struggle, this battle in my mind. Yes, most of life's battles are won or lost right here in our minds. Because Paul knew that his strength, his effort, and his discipline to live right with God wasn't going to be enough. And that didn't send him into defeat or to despair. Because he knew Christ's victory was proof that God was still at work in him and is still at work in us. So yes, our job is to cooperate with him. It's not all up to us. We're the subjects. God is the active agent. But we're not in this process alone. You are not in this process alone. And God wants us to develop the mind of Christ. And he enables us to do that. He causes us to want it. He enables us to make it happen. And one day, Christ will perfect that work in us that God began. And that is a promise. And that is good news. So today, this January, would you pray a prayer of cooperation? It could go something like this. Because you might have some ugly habits that you just can't overcome. You might have a struggle of spiritual doubt. You might even be avoiding God right now. But remember, it's not all up to you. Wherever you go, wherever you're at, you can trust that God is still in you. He's still working. He's not finished with you yet. And every time you cooperate, and possibly even sometimes when you don't, he's still working. So I encourage you to pray this prayer of cooperation. It can go something like this. Would you pray with me? God, Uh, We're thankful for a new year. We're thankful for fresh starts where your mercies are new every morning. God, we claim those mercies today. We ask that you change our minds, God. Make our minds move in the direction of you, God, of your power, of your purpose, of the fact that you are for us, you are with us, and you are still working in us. God, and I'm grateful for that. I submit myself to your care and your construction, God. I know you're not finished with me yet, so I'm still under construction. I submit myself to that construction. God, I want to partner with you to become the person that you created me to be. So help me to choose growth over perfection. God, I want to have a passion for growth and for learning. 
I don't want to have a hunger for approval, God. I want to strive for being perfect. I want to just have a passion to grow. I want to have a passion to learn. Help me to live and love and work from this place of already approved by you. In your precious and powerful name, Jesus. Amen.